Some might say that ranking the films of a master like Hayao Miyazaki is a fool's errand. Well, I guess I'm a fool because here we go. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Feelin' Film Podcast. Whether you're listening or watching on YouTube, I appreciate you being here. This is a bit of a different exercise for me. Instead of just one of our weekly reviews, I'm going to dive into the filmography of one of my favorite directors and do the impossible. That's right. I'm going to rank the films of Hayao Miyazaki. Now, for this project, I've decided to include both films that Miyazaki directed and also films that he was responsible for writing. That gives us a total of 14 movies. This also excludes all short films and films in which he was just a producer. What the plan is, is to talk a little bit about each one and then go through the process of ranking them as I go. We're going to do this in two parts with the intention of leading up to The Boy and the Heron, which is going to be having its North American premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival in September. I should be there for the premiere uh, the first night that it's showing. I'm really excited. It's probably my most anticipated film of the year that's remaining, I would say. And I thought this would be a fun way to get myself excited even more, get in the mood, and just have a good time revisiting 14 movies that are all legitimately great. Part one of this video series is going to cover the first seven films from 1979 through 1995. And then I'll do a part two that covers the films from 1996 through 2013, which will take us up to present day. All right. With all that out of the way, why don't we just get right into talking about these great works and huh, doing the challenging job of trying to put them in order. The first film is Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro from 1979. It opens with a casino heist where Lupin and his partner Gigant have taken on a huge number of forged bills. This puts them on the trail of a master counterfeiter and takes them to the Grand Duchy of Cagliostro, where the Count of the region resides in a very large castle. Now, this is part Indiana Jones, part James Bond, and part Scooby-Doo. It's such a fun, sometimes very slapstick, incredibly endearing adventure story, even though it's not really nearly as thematically dense as a lot of Miyazaki's work. There's an ancient treasure, an underground dungeon, spy-type gadgets, assassins, and a creepy plot to forcibly marry a princess. I really enjoyed the caper and many of the characters in this adventure. And every time that I watch this movie, it leaves me wanting to check out the anime that's based on Lupin the Third, even though I am aware that 
for this film, Miyazaki made the characters much more likable and heroic overall and generally more respectful than they were uh, of women in the series. One thing that I think will probably keep this towards the bottom of the list, though, is just that the animation and the world building, while detailed and definitely appealing at times, they aren't memorable in the way that we have become accustomed to much of Miyazaki's work. For me, the characters are a little too cartoonish, and the architectural animation looks phenomenal. Um, and there are some really great sequences like the early car chase and Lupin going down the aqueduct. Um, you, once you've seen that, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It just sticks in your brain. It's such a really innovative and interesting way to animate this hilarious uh, exploration moment for the character. But for me, it just doesn't stick in the way that so many other of his pictures do. It's so lighthearted and so simplistic. And the villain just doesn't capture my imagination or interest me uh, in a way that I would need for this type of picture to do so. So with that said, it's going to get my number one spot for right now. So we're going to have it here at number one for the time being, and we'll see where it lands after we keep going. Next up is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind from 1984. Apocalyptic epic science fantasy? Um, yes, please. In this story, 1,000 years have passed since the Seven Days of Fire, an apocalyptic war that destroyed civilization and caused uh, an ecocide, creating this vast toxic jungle. Uh, it's a poisonous forest that is swarming with giant creatures and mutant insects. And now the warrior and the pacifist princess Nausicaa arrives desperately is struggling to prevent these two warring nations from destroying both themselves and their dying planet. The environmental message is no surprise, and it's very common to Miyazaki's future work, but I love how it's woven into this particular story with a richly designed and beautiful world full of interesting terrain and fantastical creatures and ancient history and technology where the remaining human factions have differing opinions on how to survive. The world building is so good, and the story itself is incredibly rich um, with lots of depth to explore. And I would have loved to see this developed into a continuing animated series, honestly, where we could spend more time getting to know each of the various factions. The film is also a great example of something Miyazaki will become well-known for, which is strong female characters who aren't just always warriors, but can be intelligent leaders who display empathy and understanding as well. Big time bonus for Nausicaa, she's also great with animals. This film also marks the first collaboration between Miyazaki and legendary film composer Joe Hisaishi, who would go on to score all of Miyazaki's films. And it's a very good one, although not quite my favorite. For now, I'm going to put Nausicaa at number two, just below Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro. But remember, all of these movies are good. I'm going to say that over and over and over as we go throughout this video, because none of these are what we would consider under the line. Like these are all movies that I would recommend 
And so as we progress, I just want to always keep that at the top of your heads. Next is Castle in the Sky from 1986, about a young boy and a girl with a magic crystal who fight against sky pirates and government agents and the army in search of this legendary floating castle. Once again, we have a young female who is one of our primary protagonists and again, also a princess. She has a mysterious background that ties her to this place called Laputa, a fabled castle in the sky. She meets a young boy named Patsu who is determined to find it as well because his dad is known for discovering it, but has passed away after being ridiculed and losing his reputation because people didn't believe what he had discovered and called him a liar. It is implied that he died of guilt, and this really is something that sits with Patsu and is something that he is just driven to prove uh, wrong about his father. He wants him to be remembered as the great man that he believes him to be. This film includes multiple different fantasy type elements and brings in some more science, kind of how Nausicaa does with some sky ships. This film has robots that are used for good. It has robots that are used for ill. It even has gardening robots. Once we get to the castle in the sky, it's this wonderfully advanced technological ancient island that is also preserved by a giant tree and is full of beautiful flora and fauna echoing that previous environmental aspect that Miyazaki loves so much. Miyazaki may frequently return to themes of humanity's relationship with technology and in the environment, um, but he also does so in looking at the way that children have the ability to display innocence and resilience and goodness. And he does so in all of these slightly varied settings, so it never gets old. I'll always think of Castle in the Sky as a kind of anime Nathan Drake or Indiana Jones origin story, too. It just gives off that vibe. I love the railway chase at the beginning of the film, and it reminds me of some of the great set pieces that our best adventure characters have this is just a full-on fun adventure story with great pacing and momentum, and it's one of my favorites to rewatch just from an exciting, entertaining angle where I don't have to worry too much about getting all up in my feelings. I just go along for the ride. For now, I'm actually going to put Castle in the Sky at number one. This is my favorite of these first three films. We're going to go Castle in the Sky then Castle of Cagliostro, and then Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Next is My Neighbor Totoro from 1988. The story revolves around a father who moves his two young girls, Satsuki and Mei, out to the country to be near their sick mother who is in the hospital. They have adventures with fantastical creatures in the forest, and it's basically like an imaginary friend type of relationship and story that they form with this giant, cuddly, cat-like creature called Totoro. I love the relationship between the dad and the kids. As they talk about these things that they are seeing and witnessing that aren't realistic, he doesn't admonish them for what he must probably think is just an overactive imagination. He loves them, and he lets them talk about these things, and he is refreshingly positive with them, as he is with his sick, an ailing wife, always 
looking at the bright side and always being hopeful about her recovery. In the pantheon of ultimate comfort films, for me, this is maybe the best. It is one of the most wholesome and heartwarming films I've ever watched. I can put it on, it just encompasses me like a warm hug or blanket and makes me feel calm and makes me feel loved and makes me believe in the power of goodness out there in the world. It's so much fun watching Setsuki and May explore the country and explore this new home of theirs that they think is haunted. It would be like every kid's dream. There's this innocence to these children, as I mentioned before, something Miyazaki comes back to. They also have hope and optimism in the midst of hardship. They don't know what's going to happen to their mother. It's an awkward and a challenging time for them. It's a very simple story, but it's very, very touching, and it's just so enchanting. These are two just believable little girls having a slice-of-life type of story that includes this occasionally joyful, magical adventure. There are so many iconic scenes and designs in this film. Big Totoro himself, of course, and his two smaller Totoro companions. The cat bus, the soot sprites, the first appearance of those in a Miyazaki film. Specifically that scene where they're standing in the rain at the bus stop. I think everyone knows what movie that's from, even if they haven't actually ever seen My Neighbor Totoro. And to me, that's the strength and the sign of, of an incredibly moving and powerful piece of cinematic media. When it transcends and it gets into the zeitgeist in a way that even those who haven't watched it or aren't familiar with it themselves are aware of its importance to those around them. Also, the animation is absolutely delightful and Hisaishi's score is tremendous. It's one of my favorites of all time. Totoro is going to number one at the top for me, and this is a prime contender for my overall spot. I hate to tip my hand at all, but this is one of my all-time most beloved pictures, and it's going to be a challenge to knock it from this top spot. Moving on to 1989, we have Kiki's Delivery Service. This is about a young witch in her mandatory year of independent life. She sets out to a new city all on her own and finds a community that both accepts her but doesn't have anyone else that is like her. And she finds challenges while supporting herself and running an air courier service, delivering things on her wonderful witch's broomstick. So as Gigi, uh, Gigi the cat, this is probably the best cat in all of cinema and also one of the best sidekicks. He is so freaking expressive and so snarky. I love him, I love him, I love him to pieces. I have a black cat of my own. I always have thought of Gigi. I almost named my cat Gigi. Ended up going with a Lord of the Rings reference. Kiki is yet another coming-of-age story about a young girl, and this one in particular is oh so respectful of a young lady's relationship with other women. That is amazing, especially coming from, again, a male director, someone who understands that and puts it as a focal point for his characters. It's also a stunningly beautiful world. The colors are vibrant and just pop off the screen. And I love the setting being modernized fantasy world where every town has a local witch. It's just a thing. It's normal. They don't 
think of her as an outsider, even though they do think of her as different. She is just still having to do normal things. She has to clean her room. She has to make a living. It's a lovely community overall with several other interesting and charming characters that Kiki interacts with. And I love the main theme here of art being something that requires effort, not just being something that happens because you wish for it to, something that you have to work at. This isn't an environmental film at all, like much of Miyazaki's work, but it does focus heavily on flight, which is another one of his passions that is a reoccurring thing in pretty much all of his movies. I like to think that the director is portraying some of himself in Tombo, this geeky young boy character who is the president of the local flying club and has a crush on Kiki and admires her and her ability to fly. One fun fact is that Kiki was the first film released under a 15-year distribution partnership between the Walt Disney Company and Studio Ghibli. Uh, Walt Disney Pictures actually produced an English dub for this one in 1997, and that premiered in the United States theaters, the Seattle International Film Festival on May 23rd, 1998. So yay, Seattle. It's cool that my local film festival got to be the one that premiered Kiki's Delivery Service, or I guess the English dub version of it. Uh, I think that that's really, really cool. Um, mostly, I, I love this movie uh, with all my heart. Again. So much of Miyazaki's work is just incredibly rewatchable. These are movies you can put on and just have in the background and you can watch them with intention or you can watch them without intention. And you will still get the good vibes from them no matter what, just from the colors on the screen and the calm and interesting stories that are being told and the wonderful Hishaishi film scores. Mostly, though, for Kiki's delivery service, as I said before, GG is everything. For me, Kiki goes in at number three beneath My Neighbor Totoro and Castle in the Sky. All right, now we have Porco Rosso in 1992. I remember the first time that I watched this film. I think this might have been the Ghibli film that I saw the latest, as in I put this one off for a long time. I thought, it looked silly. I, I remember seeing the poster, you know, and it had this this pig flying a plane. And I thought, this makes no sense. Actually, it's not the one that I saw the latest. The one that I saw the latest, I'll talk about that in the next video. But in this one, the plot revolves in around an Italian World War I ex-fighter ace who now lives as a freelance bounty hunter hunting sky pirates in the Adriatic Sea. However, he has suffered a curse. And his body has been transformed into an anthropomorphic pit. This story is one that takes place mostly in the real world. It's more historical and political than a lot of Miyazaki's work, and definitely more so than his previous films up until this point. Not nearly as fantastical. Uh, the only fantasy element here is that one guy is a pig. Um, and it includes one of the most iconic lines of dialogue in a Miyazaki movie. I'd rather be a pig than a fascist. We can leave it to Miyazaki to take what sets up to be a standard Beauty and the Beast fairy tale and really diverge from that to take it to a place that is much more authentically human. This is a love letter to flight and to classic Hollywood wartime swashbuckling films 
that caught me completely off guard and yet again shows an animator who is an absolute master of his craft. He's able to deliver a subtle romance and a dazzling depiction of aerial combat alongside a character study of survivor's guilt. It's thoroughly engaging, pleasantly surprising, and it's ambiguity and a lovely tale of friendship and rivalry. It also happens to be full of some wonderful leadership and life lessons delivered largely in pig puns. I'll also add that Porco Rosso features an awesome English dub that has Michael Keaton facing off against Carrie L's great sound design and perfectly whimsical adventurous score by Hisaishi. It makes this one a real audio delight. I think it's one of the more underrated or at least underseen films in Miyazaki's filmography. And so I highly recommend that if you haven't yet, you seek this one out. I'm going to slot Porco Rosso in, I think, number four. We'll go My Neighbor Totoro, Castle in the Sky, Kiki's Delivery Service, and then Porco Rosso next. This will bring us to the seventh film in this first group. This is Whisper of the Heart from 1995. All films are better if they include the song Take Me Home, Country Roads. And this movie opens with it and also features a memorable performance of it with some rewritten lyrics that might actually be better than some of the lyrics in the original song. So that is a huge win in this movie's uh, favor already. Whisper of the Heart is Miyazaki's first real romantic film and it's coming-of-age perfection. Super charming with realistic pacing, and it captures that nostalgic feeling of first summer love. The relationship between Shizuku and Seiji, it's swoon-worthy, to say the least. It's also incredibly profound with some life lessons. The story tells us wanting is not enough. Who among us needs to hear that? And frequently, the answer is everyone. Finding your passion is only the first step. You've got to practice and you've got to work at it, even when you fear failing. And this movie does a lovely job of giving us characters who go through the learning process of discovering that. This film also has cats and the Baron. I love them and I love how this movie spawned a non-Miyazaki spinoff, dives into the fictional world that the aspiring writer Shizuku comes up with in The Cat Returns. But where Miyazaki has previously dealt with mostly younger children or characters like Nausicaa, who are an older female heroine, but not really interacting with anyone in a majorly romantic way, this is truly a down-home movie. It's about these two teenagers who are coming to that period in their life that we can all relate to and understand. You don't have to be a writer or want to make violins in order to connect with what they're feeling. If you've ever had any sort of a crush or any sort of uh, feelings towards someone and been excited to be near them, or you've gone through great lengths to try and get their attention, those are the kind of things that this sort of coming of age romance gets so right and Miyazaki nails it with great gusto. Um, Whisper of the Heart is one of the movies that makes me feel the strongest in all of his filmography and you know me that's gonna put it really high on my list.
I'm going to go with number two for Whisper of the Heart, which puts my list as this. One, My Neighbor Totoro. Two, Whisper of the Heart. Three, Castle in the Sky. Four, Kiki's Delivery Service. Five, Porco Rosso. Six, Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro. And seven, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, again, love all of these movies. You can actually watch, I think, all of them, maybe, except The Castle of Cagliostro on HBO Max right now. They're streaming there. I think all of them actually have both the English dub and the original Japanese language as well. So take your pick. But if you haven't seen any of them, I highly recommend that you do so. You can't go wrong with any of these. Again, number seven on my list would be number one on many lists. And it is number one for many people. I know folks who think Nausicaa is the best Miyazaki work. Uh, So this is an effort that is completely futile. I'm just doing it anyway. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please let me know what you think of the list. What do you disagree with? What do you agree with? Comment on the YouTube video. Seek me out on social media. You can find links to all of my channels in the show notes to each and every episode. But I want to hear from you. And then be sure to come back next week when we add in the films from 1996 to 2013. It's only going to get harder from here, I'm afraid. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.